Hey guys, happy 4th of July. I hope everyone's having a safe holiday, enjoying some time off from work. And if you're traveling, be safe. There's a lot of nut jobs out there. Also, it's been hot as hell, so make sure you stay hydrated. Not just water, but minerals. And that's the, uh, the good word for the day, stay hydrated. Welcome to another episode of Man on the Silver Mountain. Um, trying to stay cool today, uh, enjoying some downtime. A couple, about a week ago, it seems like an eternity has passed since last week when uh, we played Hellfest. And um, I'm going to be talking a little bit about that. There was some adventure involved in that trip overseas. But before we get into that, I just want to uh, thank everyone who's been supporting the show via Patreon. Um, you guys know who you are, and I really appreciate it. And if you are not familiar with what Patreon is, it's a way for you to, for as little as $1, support the podcast. So if you go to everythingwentblackmedia.com, there's a pop-up that takes you to the Patreon page and um, kind of outlines everything that um, you're entitled to by becoming a patron of the, uh, of the, of the show. Starting this month, I'm going to be uh, doing bonus episodes for Patreon members only. And there'll be these, uh, you know, probably about 30 minutes to 45 minutes. There's going to be two things I'm going to go over. It's going to be a series of Guide to Good Music where I talk about either obscure bands or obscure songs from bands that are not obscure. So that's a wide variety of stuff. It's just basically stuff I'm into, bands you might have heard of, bands that you might not have heard of and should know about. Um this is going to be tied in somewhat to my show on Gimme Radio, uh, The Sacred and the Profane. And um, that's another really cool platform. It's free. You can download an app. And basically, it's 24-7 streaming extreme music. And um, Dave Mustaine has a show. Randy Blythe has a show. Uh, a bunch of other people have shows on there. And it's a lot of fun. Um, you just have to look on the schedule. They changed my slot. Uh, I have a sh- that goes up every two weeks, but uh, I play a lot of stuff on there, and some of that content that I'm going to be discussing in the uh, Guide to Good Music will be taken from those playlists, because uh, I try to keep it original and uh, change things up, you know, so you'll, you'll hear the, the normal stuff like death metal, black metal, old school heavy metal, hard rock, um, you know, kind of like noise rock dark post-punk things like that and also some bands that um specifically bands that almost made it big but never quite got there like for example they have like one record out on a major label and then the times changed or they had some uh, difficulties keeping it together and they just sort of remained this like obscure band and um so i'll be talking about a lot of stuff like that on the bonus episodes and they will be available monthly to Patreon members only. At some point, I'd like to compile this stuff and publish it in a book, you know, similar to, I guess, uh, Rollins has Fanatic, which is essentially his playlist and descriptions about all the songs that he plays. And I'd like to do something along those lines, which make available for everybody. The second prong to that attack is I'll be also doing um, Guide to Good Movies, which... You know, same format, 30 to 40 minutes, uh, giving a rundown of just films in general that I'm into. 
um, it's going to differ from the Necromaniacs podcast that I do with Mike Scandato because that focuses exclusively inside the horror genre. And this will be open to everything, dramas, even comedies, things like that. So those will all be uh, posted monthly. Um, you, you're going to have to be a Patreon member to check these out. And um, like I said, there's different plans. There's uh, you know as little as $1 a month, and that gives you entitlement to all the other content that's out there, uh, these bonus episodes, and also working on some other stuff, uh, which I'll be making available to you guys soon. Um, real quick, uh, Joe Maduro, Patreon member, recommended a, an idea for a future Man on the Silver Mountain episode where I give a rundown of books that I'm into, and um, I think I'm going to do that. So the next Man on the Silver Mountain will be a not-so-much-inclusive list of stuff that I'm into. I mean, I might forget something here and there, but I'm working on that list right now, Joe. And uh, the next episode... You know, we'll get into it, man. Pretty once again, not genre specific. Probably talking about Graham Hancock, H.P. Lovecraft, uh, some other people. You know, Clive Barker. Um, you know, a bunch of different different stuff and how it all relates to you know things that um, that I'm into and stuff that I might want to share with you guys. There's some really good books about esoteric studies out there. Um, you know, chaos magic, uh, Norse mythology, like that kind of stuff, which I'll be sharing with you guys. And, um, you know, I spent many years toiling away over these subjects, and um, there's some good and some bad, and I'll be putting the good stuff out there for you guys to check out. So, onward. Hellfest. Hellfest Open Air 2018. It's in the books. So... This sort of opportunity came to us uh, late in the game. I remember usually in Europe, these big summer festivals get booked a year in advance. You know, for, I wouldn't be surprised if uh, this week uh, the people organizing this festival haven't started reaching out to next year's, at least the headliners, to get those in place. That's kind of how it works over there. You know, they like to plan things out. And for any of you who have never been to a European festival, um, I have to say that they run it tight, you know, top to bottom, professional. Um, there's never any question about any activity that you have to do. I mean, you know exactly where you have to be. There's food available. Uh, payment is never an issue, of course. And um, they're some of the most well-run operations uh, across the board. And... Um, you know, likewise, they book these things so far in advance. So that's why it was curious to me that around February we got an offer to play Hellfest, which was only a few months down the line at that point. I think it was February or March. And uh, apparently someone canceled or dropped off for whatever reason, and we were given this opportunity. And, of course, we said yes. And, um, you know, it's, it's been, uh, it was a great honor. I mean, everyone talks about Hellfest. You know, we've played a couple of festivals over there, but this is the biggest, highest profile thing that we've ever done in Europe. I mean, Roadburn, we played twice. That was great. Love Walter and all those guys. You know, it's, but it's definitely like a, a genre specific, a genre within a genre specific sort of, um, you know, sort of festival. It's like a well curated 
event that um, reflects the sort of aesthetic, a certain aesthetic. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm glad to, to know that we fit within that aesthetic because that happens to be a large majority of the music I enjoy that fits within that aesthetic. So, like I said, we've been invited to, to play that twice, and it's been an honor to do both times. Um, we've played Roskilde Festival in Denmark, and that is uh, like a non-genre-specific huge event, multi-day. It's been going on since the 70s. Like Led Zeppelin played it back in the day. Uh, the year that we played, played it, uh, the main stage was headlined by Paul McCartney. So that gives you an idea of uh, the scale at which that festival sort of that's the space that that festival operates within you know high profile really really honored to to know that they invited us and it was cool you know temples festival in the uk they did that for a couple of years um once again like a, a a tightly curated sort of thing which um was a lot of fun we got to share the stage with neurosis and amon ra two bands that i respect deeply and um, that was also a fun time. Now, the one thing that Roskilde, Temples, and Hellfest all have in common is that the intense amount of travel, time changes, crossing time zones, um, all make them seem like a dream a week later. It's like you doubt that you actually ever was there, were there. <laughs> so that's kind of what was happening last week. We left New York at 12.40 a.m. Well, actually, before I do that, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to recommend that no one ever fly WOW Air. You might be asking yourself, who the hell is WOW Air? That was the same question I asked myself. When booking the flights, we were given a certain budget to operate within. And due to the lateness at which we were given this offer... Um, there was also some logistical stuff, like we, were, we weren't sure if we were going to be doing more than one show. We were trying to book, you know, a bunch of dates around the festival so that, you know, thinking since we're there, we could, you know, hit a couple of areas, you know, Germany, maybe do some dates in Holland, you know, something like that, like the mainland of Europe. So we were holding off on that, um, you know, to, to see if that came together. Unfortunately, once again, for the same reason, I mentioned earlier the Europeans are way ahead of the game when it comes to booking, and that also includes your random shows here and there. So we were pretty much locked out of any any kind of uh, opportunities to play other than the festival. So throughout all this stuff, we were getting later and later, and we ended up have, having to buy the tickets uh, when they're at a premium. You know, so not how I like to do things typically. So we had a certain budget to work with. And um, the only airline that fit within that budget was an obscure little airline known as Wow Air. Initially, I thought it was a scam. I thought it was like, because if you go on Expedia and you try to book flights, a million windows pop up, you know. Oh, that's how I guess they pay for the site. Yeah, different ads, you know. I thought this Wow Air thing was one of these weird pop-up scam windows. So I had to do a double take. I did a Google search to verify that they actually do exist before I actually gave them the, the two, two grand or whatever the hell it cost to fly all four of us over there. Turns out they're based in Iceland. Pretty cool. Very cheap, which is also very nice. I still felt uncomfortable 
going with a company called Wow Air and entrusting my safety to them, my safety and safe passage for myself and my bandmates to Europe. So I reluctantly purchased the tickets. We didn't have a whole lot of options. Um, so, you know, there you go. We got four flights with a stopover, stopover in Iceland en route to France, to Paris. Now, at this point, I also made another huge mistake. I still, to this day, um, I'm not quite sure what town Hellfest actually takes place in. Um, you know, basically, this whole thing came together so quickly. We decided on the spur of the moment to buy these, these flights. So I'm like, okay, Paris. Sounds like a reasonable place to fly into, right? Turns out that Paris is about five hours away from the actual town that Hellfest took place in, you know? So I went on a limb. <laughs> I made a, an executive decision and I made a huge mistake, which cost us money and time, something that under these circumstances we had very little of. So inadvertently, I cost the band like another 500 bucks or whatever, $700. We had to hire a van and a dude to drive us and hang out with us for three days. And he was great. His name is uh, Ryan Duval, dude based out of Paris. He's in the uh, whole tour managing game, driving, tour managing, doing merch, all that kind of stuff. Excellent person. Happy to have met him. Helped us out immeasurably and was a total professional from start to finish. So props to Ryan Duval. Great guy. He kind of saved us, actually, because he came in with a very good price and executed like a professional. So it's been a comedy of errors. First mistake, going with Wow Air. Second mistake, booking the flights into Paris. If we had booked to a closer airline, I could have gotten transportation for free. You know, there were these shuttles that kept driving you around. But due to my ignorance... And my um, lack of forethought to actually do a quick Google search to find out the name of the town that the festival takes place in and figuring out from that point, maybe even doing a Google search of closest airlines to Hellfest or closest airports to Hellfest, it would have given me better information, better intel. The one thing, the one saving grace is that I keep telling myself that if I had flown into one of these smaller airlines, airports rather, that it would have affected the price and it might have exceeded what our budget was I keep telling myself that I'm not sure if that's true but it makes me feel better at this stage so anyway Friday night 1240 a.m. 0040 for those of you who operate on the 24-hour clock like me we get to the airport you know wow air is uh, it's not like a you know legit in the same way that like American Airlines is or or you know any of the well known Lufthansa like any of the giants. So they operate out of some random corner at uh, you know, JFK Airport. You know they I think they even use maybe maybe there's like these kiosks that these like shady fly by night airlines operate out of where they can change the name quickly. So we found Wow Air. We discovered that all of our bags, and I know once again, this is probably something that could have been addressed earlier. You know, in my experience with flying, you get a carry-on and a personal item. 
to take with you on the flight. You may or may not get a checked bag, and you might have to pay for it, but that's whatever. We're, we're, we're traveling light. We're only going to be there for three days. It's basically guitar, change clothes, some merchandise. You know, I didn't even bring my computer. I figured I was only going to be there for such a short period of time. It's not going to matter. And I have T-Mobile, so I know that I have like good data and text and all that sort of you know business. So I, I wasn't completely cut off from the rest of the world. <clears throat> we have to pay for every single thing except for one personal item. So we got jacked on that level. The plane, the flight left about 30 minutes late. Or actually, we started boarding about 30 minutes late. And I remember it being like after one, like maybe 1.30 in the morning when we actually left. We actually got in the air. And, um, you know, we had that connecting flight in Iceland, which we only had about an hour of time to get through. So I'm thinking the whole flight, I'm like, man, we're going to, you know, miss miss our connecting flight and what we're going to do. And all these thoughts are running through my head as I, uh, you know, sat on the plane. And, um, you know, I never am able to sleep on these flights anyhow. So that was something that was like just eating away at me. Because, you know, you sometimes you have to go through customs, which we ended up having to do. And you have to, you know, if the flight is in a different terminal or a different gate, rather, you have to go through security and all this. All these things are running through my mind about how we're going to miss our connecting flight. And we got to, who knows how long we're going to stay there. And, you know, the, the time zone differences and just feeling weird in general. So we get on the flight. You know, it's, uh, we're in the air. Somehow I managed to doze off, uh, listening to some music. Actually, what was really cool is I revisited Need to Control by Brutal Truth on part of the flight. And uh, it's been years since I listened to that record. And uh, it's quite good. Forgot how good that record was. I always listen to like the later Brutal Truth stuff because it's the newer material. And that record I always just kind of like filed away as like an old record. But it's, it's definitely uh, mixing a couple of different genres it's like real noisy and there's like this noise element to it and of course there's like a grind element and some of it has a death metal feel and uh, so anyway i got into that record in the flight help help me get through this whole situation so at some point i'm totally unconscious i wake up it's it's daylight out okay i find out that we got maybe two more hours till we land in uh in in iceland the uh, cart is coming around with coffee and water. So I'm like, oh, it's morning. Why not get a cup of coffee? So I stop the guy, comes over. May I have a cup of coffee? Black, please. The dude told me that'll be $3.50. And I'm like, wow. It's come down to this. Times are so tough that you have to charge your customers for every glass of water cup of coffee let alone meals on these flights that were six hours long nonetheless i purchased the coffee it was one of the most awful cups of coffee i've ever had in my long life i think it was actually instant coffee that they charged three dollars fifty cents for in a tiny cup nonetheless now everyone out there likes to smash Starbucks for overcharging you. I think that you should add wow air to that lo- that line of of vitriol about overcharging for coffee. 
So anyway, I'm not too impressed with these guys. It's been a very uncomfortable flight. I'm dehydrated. I didn't feel like buying water on a flight. So we we uh, we actually get off the plane successfully in Iceland. We make it to our our next gate. There's they're already boarding by the time we get there, which is always fun. You know, you're disoriented, you're tired, you're exhausted. Everyone's cranky. Um, you're in Iceland, the the gray cold skies of Iceland. We had to walk out onto the runway actually to get on the plane. There wasn't one of those like cool like you know connector structures where you can actually safely walk on the plane. So we had to walk out into the uh, pissing Icelandic environment to get onto the uh, the next plane. So luckily that flight was only I think about two and a half, three hours. So we're up in the air. We get to France, go through whatever baggage claim we have to get through. We're walking out and uh, we see Ryan, who's the only guy wearing all black with like a death metal t-shirt on. So I figured that was our man. Meet Ryan, nice guy, younger dude, very cool, accommodating dude. We go to his van, we're on the road, feeling a lot better. Getting some fresh air, got the window down, dozing off a little bit, cranking some good tunes. And uh, close my eyes and I get about maybe 30 minutes of sleep. Once we left Paris, because like the traffic in Paris can be a little crazy. And um, I just remember seeing the uh, the exit for, for Lille, which is a neighborhood in Paris, which was actually the first, the site of the very first Tombs show in, in, in France. Yeah, we were, we were out on this tour. What seems to be like, 70 years ago at this point but it was our first trip to Europe and our first ever show in France was that it was in this youth center squat type thing in Lille and I remember being kind of a fun show I remember the neighborhood being kind of rough so rough that one of us had to sleep out in the van actually so that was and of course that was me so um those are my memories of Lille some good Middle Eastern food out there though I got like some good falafels and I think a kebab, that kind of thing. That really good dark Turkish coffee, which I enjoy, available in that neighborhood. So don't let the uh, rowdiness of that place fool you or deter you from experiencing cool things. It's, I guess that's the takeaway from that situation. So um, a few hours later, it's dark. We're, uh, we're nearing... Um, the site of Hellfest and uh you know Ryan asked me he's like what do you want to do and I'm like well I would like to go to a hotel get some sleep maybe (laughs) maybe check in he's like oh no I think we're going to go to the festival first (laughs) so I'm like okay so I guess we're going to go go to the fest so I figured all right um we can check in get our wristbands you know maybe check the merchandise in that kind of stuff maybe it'd be good to be ahead of the game on this so um we get to the festival. Literally, it's in the middle of nowhere. It's like, I, they do that in Europe. You know, you have these towns which are kilometers off of the major highways and they're on these like two-lane roads and then that will be the site of one of the biggest festivals in Europe. Thousands of people descend on this town. You know, it's one of these camping situations. So as we got closer and closer to the site, 
we started seeing like just on these deserted country roads, you'd see like cars parked, you know, people and Ryan's like, ah, yes, people are parking for the camp, for the, uh, the, the camping for the, um, festival. And then as you got into the town, you would see just random places with people pitching tents, you know, like there'll be this little piece of grass in like a, a, a traffic rotary and there'll be some dude camped out there. Ryan also told me that, you know, every year around this time that a lot of the people that live in the town will Airbnb their, their places out knowing that people are going there for the festival. Because I was thinking to myself, I'm like, man, what a drag once a year. You live in this quiet town in the middle of nowhere and all these people from all over Europe and probably the States too come and they're in your town partying, drinking, listening to loud heavy metal and just kind of being, you know. but then again, people seem pretty well behaved out there. I mean, I didn't see any destruction or any kind of property damage or anything like that. Just a lot of people, you know, and actually the site of the festival is pretty far removed from the actual town. So there wasn't even a lot of noise for, you know, for that matter. So we get to the grounds, we check in. And, um, there's a couple bands that if we were going to go the night before, there was like a few bands I wanted to see for sure. Uh, body count being one of them, but we missed them. Uh, Chromags sort of, well, sort of the Chromags. It's, um, John Joseph at least. And we all know that he's not really the original, any, He's not an original member of that band, but he's out there performing Chromax material. But still, I wanted to see them, um, Watain and Neurosis. So we literally got there just in time to see the final chords of Watain's set. And, you know, whatever. They left the stage. They had the whole, you know, atmosphere going on. It was kind of nice. Kind of built me up a little bit for... Uh, for being there. Finally, I was just like, wow, I'm in it. This is great. You know, it's like I was on a plane. I was over being charged for coffee. Didn't know if I was going to make it here. But now I'm here. It was rewarding in its own way. The bright side is that Neurosis was getting ready to play. So me and Randy went over to check out Neurosis. And um, and it, they delivered like a powerful set, man. It was like... A combination of old and new material um i was thinking that they would probably end the set with either through silver and blood or locust star which are two great songs to end a set with and it was through silver and blood that they ended the set with and uh that was really cool and they did the whole drum percussion drum off you know which i've always enjoyed and uh you know what was interesting was that the crowd was a mix of you know, different types of people, but there is this, um, and there's a certain type of person back in the nineties that used to show up to see neurosis, like these kind of crust dudes with, you know, face tattoos and dreads and, and like those big plug earrings. And, um, I think like, at least in the States, I feel like the neurosis crowd has been absent of those types of people for a long time. But in Europe, there is this whole contingency of these guys that were there um, you know, just like, I always thought they looked like these road warrior characters who had ridden across the desert for days to go see Neurosis, but you know, they probably, that's probably not the case. But anyway, there was a lot of those dudes there, which was a welcome sight. And, um, I gotta tell you, man, like I, 
have every single Neurosis album, and whenever they play live, I always try to catch them because I know their live show is great. And, you know, they don't do, obviously, for those of you out there who have seen them recently, they don't do the um, visuals anymore, which I miss. But it doesn't really detract from the intensity of their show. Their shows are still amazing. And, you know, even though, like, I have all their albums, but I don't really listen. I listen to the newer records, but I still always go back to Through Silver and Blood, um, Enemy of the Sun. Like, those are the, you know, Times of Grace, too, is a great record. You know, those those are the, the ones I really, I really get down with. You know, they played songs from those records, and they played new songs, and it was really cool. So at this point... I'm starting to get really tired. And, uh, you know, so we all convene. We check, trip out on the enormity of this place and how big it is and how much stuff is going on there and how many different stages there are and how much people are are there. And it's crazy. So, but we decide that it's time to go back and get some shut-eye because we got an early morning the next day. So we meet up with Ryan, we pile into the van, and we're off. And then something interesting happens on the way to the hotel room. There's like all these people are walking to their cars, you know, or their campsites or riding bikes or whatever. And then we see a group of of young girls on their bikes with reflective vests on. And they're just kind of hanging out and they flag the van down. And apparently, you know, Ryan communicates with them in French and one of them has a something on her bike broke or whatever. So she's immobile. And she needed a ride back to the quarters that the, the people who are working the festival are staying at. So I'm like, man, we're in the middle of nowhere. It's dark. You know, there's like some strange van with guys in it, you know. And it's like there's probably werewolves out there, you know. And I'm thinking like in the, in the United States, you would never think to do something like that. It's like how no one hitchhikes anymore. It's like I would never in my wildest imaginings consider just flagging someone down and asking for a ride somewhere. You know, it's, we live in a violent world where everyone's got guns, at least here in the States. You know, everyone, no one, no one wants to help you or anything like that. And so I was just blown away by how trusting they are, if they, those people particularly that we were dealing with. And I guess it wasn't like a, an out-of-the-ordinary situation where people actually helped each other out. And I thought that was really cool. So uh, you know, I saw the young lady loaded her, her bike into the back of the van. I and, mean, you know, we don't have any gear with us because we just have our guitars, so there's plenty of room. Jumps in. We drive her maybe 15 minutes down the road to this, um, you know, house building, you know, just sort of on the side of the road. And that's, I guess, like where all the – some of the people working the festival are staying there. And, uh, you know, she says bonsoir to everyone, takes her bike, and goes into the place, and it's just like – drive away and I was like that was very cool you know I, I would like to live in a society where people can actually help each other like that and not feel uncomfortable or weird or you know think that they're going to get abducted or something like that I mean you hear about you know I, I guess the news cycles that we're all involved with we hear about this stuff all the time and it's just like you start believing it you know I got to be honest with you I've never once experienced anything like that where anyone's been abducted or it's all stuff I hear about in the news and it made me wonder how much reality is actually influenced by what you hear and what people tell you and the images that you see or the paranoia that is uh sort of like injected into your lifestyle so anyway that was really cool we get to the hotel 
at this point, we're all really dragging ass because I don't think any of us have slept more than maybe an hour co- collectively since we left New York. Check in. Of course, that goes smoothly. And the uh, room is nice. It's like one of those typical small European scenarios where there's like a bunk bed and a loft and you know we all crashed out there and morning came way too quickly. I woke up, got back in the van, made our way back to the festival. And um, now it was uh, go time for us. You know, we checked in the merch. And then it was uh, time to wait. And we were playing on the uh, Temple stage, which was headlined by, uh, well, they weren't actually the headliner, but the main act on that stage was Batushka from Poland. And um, I was really looking forward to seeing them, man. It was like, once again, a band similar to Fields of the Nephilim that I thought I would never have an opportunity to see. And I saw Fields of the Nephilim the last time we played uh, Roadburn. And to my knowledge, I, and I might be wrong about this, but Tushka has never played in the States. Subsequently, I found out that they actually are playing in New York in, in August. So there you go. But I, at that point, I didn't think I'd ever get a chance to see them because, you know, there's a lot of people in the band. They have aesthetics are a big part of what they do. They have like a very theatrical presentation. And um, I figured they would need to have all that stuff with them and the logistics of transporting that kind of stuff from Poland to the United States is probably expensive. And though, you know, though they're a popular band, um, they haven't, they're not commercially at the place where I think they could be transporting containers of props overseas. Oh, by the way, we played. (laughs) Um, Yeah, our set was at three o'clock in the afternoon. Um, Went well. You know, a lot of people there. It was cool. It's like, I barely remember any of the things that happened on stage. I just know that we played, and um, I felt pretty good about the set. It was Randy's first show, and um, <laughs> and also Matt's first show at the band, our guitar player. And uh, the trippy part about it is, like, we were supposed to do those shows with um, Bloodbath, and they were going to be at big venues, too. So I was like, ah, you know, let's let's ease Randy into this whole thing. Let's let's set up. We were, you know, we we're gonna play a show in Jersey like the night before the first show of the Bloodbath run, and figuring like, all right, you know, we'll start a nice small venue. You know, maybe like you know, like you know, forty people will be there. Something, you know, something casual. But I guess that wasn't in the cards for Randy Larson. Uh, his first show is in front of I don't know four or five thousand people. Uh, <laughs> in France after flying overnight to get there. So I, I, I can only imagine, I know how I felt, so I can only imagine how him and Matt felt, you know, never being on stage with us before, having practiced with us a bunch, but not actually having that first show under your belt and your first show being like at this huge festival in front of thousands of people. And I guess everything after that's going to be anticlimactic. So nonetheless, um, you know, we carried on and everything went well and it was a good time. The crowd was real cool and um, everyone I, I met at the show was real cool. And, uh, you know, that was, uh, that was a good time for us. So, time to eat. So, we went back to the very generous offering of food that they had at the backstage area. Um, I had to wait a little bit because Iron Maiden had closed off the restaurant from four to five for them and their crew to eat, which, hey, it's Iron Maiden, man. They're cool. 
They also got a two-hour time slot, which is pretty sick, if you ask me. I could watch Iron Maiden for two hours. But um, actually, what ended up happening was that At The Gates played at the same time as Iron Maiden. So I was able to watch the entire At The Gates set and still catch one hour of Iron Maiden's, the remain, the last half of their set. So it was a win-win situation for me. So seeing Petrushka was cool. Um and uh, you know, it was it was like a good time, and once again, I never really thought I'd see them, but I did. So uh, anyway, that's uh, you know that's that's kind of like the deal. And um, you know, the rest of the night was um, you know after Maiden, everything else was pretty anticlimactic, and uh, we were just once again just tripping out on the whole thing, and it was like. Uh, you know, a good a good time, but like at this point, I think everyone was winding down and really looking forward to getting some shut eye. So we went back to the hotel room and crashed out. Didn't have to wake up too early the next morning, but um, still, the time change, the sort of clock, you know, internal clock that everyone had, everything was kind of like you know, kind of shot at this point. So the next day, we did it all over again back to the airport, vans, planes, layover in Iceland, long-ass flight back to the States, and by about 4 a.m. on whatever day that was, Monday, Tuesday morning, I'm not sure how you want to call it, I was back in back in my, my bed. And um, that following day, it was like, man, did, did, that, did, did that even happen? It's that similar feeling I talked about with Temple's Festival, and I was just like, "Man, this is like, you know, you're you're in your home, and then you're in another continent, and then you're back." In like the amount of time that it takes for someone to wake up and have their weekend, where they might not even have, le- you know, they might not even leave their house that weekend. So, yeah, it's trippy, man. And then the whole idea of like the hours that you lose, like when you know, you land in another continent and it's like a four or five hour, six hour, eight hour difference. What, are, what happens to those hours? Are you like time traveling? Are you like extending your lifespan? Like what, you know, what happens? Like, you know, what happens to those like lost hours that you have in this intercontinental flight? So anyway, that was Hellfest. It was fun. Uh, kind of wish we could do more of these things. It'd be great to go over there and hit several of these festivals. And, uh, yeah, Europe, man. It's like um, it's a good time in Europe. I, I, however, I, you know, I don't know if we actually ever really connected with anybody over there, but it's like I feel uh, going over there is always fun. You know, it's always trippy. And um, I get to use some of my French that I learned in high school, which is nice. And uh, one of the things it's done is motivated me to actually learn the language a little bit better because to go over there and only speak English, you can get by, but to not be viewed as like a savage, you know, some Cro-Magnon savage from the, from, you know, North America, it's always good to know at least a little bit of another language. You know, I can tell you that much from my interactions with some of the people at the festival and at the rest stops and everything when I try to speak French to them, they don't think I'm some idiot, which is cool, you know. I'm sure I'm mangling their language, but 
you know, what are you going to do? So that's my story, man. You know, hope to do it again. And um, Hellfest is like a great time, man. It's like excellent bands, great experience. I got to watch, in addition to all the other great bands, I got to watch maybe about 70 or 80 seconds of Alice in Chains. Uh, I, I came late to them, I think. I mean, all through the 90s, I never really checked them out. But more recently, within the last few years, I started revisiting their uh, their older material and um, and got into the whole Lane Staley era. And I don't know the songs with their new singer, but he sounds great, at least live. He sounded amazing. And, um, you know, Randy's been telling me that their newer records are pretty good. And uh, having watched that 90-second you know, sliver of their set, I also realized that uh, Jerry Cantrell sings quite a bit of their stuff. So. so anyway, that was cool. I'd still wish I'd been able to catch body count, but, you know, maybe some other time. You know what I mean? But anyway, um, you know, we, uh, we got some more dates coming up in, in August, and uh, that should be fun. Um, by now, the, you know, the Godflesh show has uh, been announced, and we have some, some of the dates that we had to cancel um, around the bloodbath thing have been rescheduled. And I'm not sure if those have been, um, I'm not sure if those have been posted yet, but they will be going up fairly soon because it's already July. And uh, yeah, any of you guys out there, if um, you are so inclined to go to any of these shows, please feel free to come up and say hi. Um, I'm usually around, and I hope to see you guys out there. So anyway, if you're in the United States, enjoy your day off. It's uh, 4th of July here, and uh, have a safe holiday. Once again, stay hydrated. It's a killer, you know, it's a killer. My dad actually got uh, heat exhaustion yesterday, and... Um, He's a guy who doesn't drink enough water. So there you go. So anyway, until then, I'm signing off. Have a good day. Ah!